So uh, if you're not at home and you're listening to this and we suddenly disappear, it's unlikely we've been raptured, but possible. It's more likely it's the internet, which has been going in and out all day long. Um, so as I was thinking about the world and what tough shape it's in and how we are going to uh, get the opportunity to go through it all, I think. It, uh, when, when I lived in Santa Barbara for 40 years, I spent you know a ton of time at the beach, of course, and you learn fairly quickly what to do when things go wrong. Like if you get sucked out in a riptide, you know, you only drown if you fight it. Just go, just, and it'll go out until the water gets deep enough and then it goes away and you just swim back, catch a wave in. It's pretty simple. If you, you know, if you're surfing or kayaking is what I used to do and you get stuck, you know, in a, cause you don't want to ride a little wave. You only want to ride the big ones, the fun ones. So if they're fun until you find yourself on the other side of it. And then you're tumbling around and, you know, bouncing off the rocks and stuff. And of course, your instinct is to fight it, you know, get try to get out of it. And that's exactly the wrong thing. You just go deeper, ideally sit on the ground and you can watch and watch where the turbulence goes over your head and then you can shoot to the top. But if you struggle, you don't you don't last that long in the water. And same thing on the kayak. If you flip over, you know, and you panic, that's bad. <laughs> but if you just relax and wait for the turbulence to go and then flip back over, you're fine. And it's the same way with, I think, what we're going through. And it's going to get so bad. I mean, it's already pretty bad, but it's, I mean, this is nothing. It's going to get really bad. And the turbulence will be intense. And our instinct is to uh, fight it, you know, to try to get out of it. To, and that's, I, I would suggest that's the wrong answer. You know, we just need to relax, go to the bottom and sit and watch the turbulence go overhead and then we can pop up. It's, you know, it's the same way. So all the stuff that, you know, I've been talking about are not all this stuff, a lot of this stuff recently and a lot of the stuff you guys know and the things you email me and the things I email you and all that stuff. It's always the, the bad stuff. It's the turbulent stuff. You know, it's the thing we're, we're stuck in the wave and rolling over the rock stuff. And we, you know, I don't really ever tell you, just relax, just let it go. Cause God's got it. Just quit fighting it, you know, and do what you can do. And I think that's, uh, we just need to remember that. I need to remember that anyway. So tonight we start with this picture. We all know who those guys are, yeah? So I was mentioning the last 475 times we've met that everything they've ever taught you is a lie, right? This is a lie. You know why this is a lie? Roadrunners, the fastest roadrunner ever clocked is 19.9 miles an hour. Coyotes run regularly 45 miles an hour. There is no way this cartoon, every time you saw it, should have ended up with Wiley Coyote eating a Roadrunner sandwich because there is zero possibility that a Roadrunner could ever outrun, outmaneuver, outthink a coyote. It just doesn't happen. So they raise us thinking stuff like this that are just complete lies. And I don't know if it's a lie on purpose or if it was just somebody thought this was a great thing or some city slicker had no idea. He'd heard about these roadrunners and just thought they were fast and has no clue how fast a coyote. They are unbelievable. I mean, 45 miles an hour for a coyote and they can turn on a dime at 45 miles an hour. But it's a great example because everything you have learned outside of the Bible 
and a lot of things that you've been taught at church in the Bible are a lie. So think about a roadrunner sandwich, you know, because that's the reality. That coyote would catch that roadrunner every time. Okay, so the next one is, you know what the CERN uh, particle collider is in France, Switzerland? They built this big, okay, so that, that's their logo. It's three sixes. Well, they don't have, they don't have the three sixes. It's, that's their logo. It's three sixes wrapped around. Does that seem weird to anybody? You know, what are they doing? They're looking for the Boson-Higgs particle or something to recreate the Big Bang. Now, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, but I'm thinking if they could do that, that's not a good idea, right? And all these people, you know, these scientist types are saying, well, this will destroy the world. Can I just say, duh? If, you know, I mean, I don't believe in evolution, so I don't believe any of that crap anyway. But if that were true, they believe it. And if they believe in evolution and they believe the universe was created from, you know, one tiny little speck of, of matter blowing up and they're trying to recreate that, how is that good for job security? So, okay, so the next one is, uh, I think it's a map of the border between France and Switzerland where the CERN uh, particle collider is. And you can see that big loop. That's how big it is. It's the world's biggest machine. And it uses so much electricity and it supposedly gets, you know, this is, this is what they say. Now think this through, this is utterly ridiculous. It's 10 times as hot as the surface of the sun. Well, you know, that can't be true because it's all made of metal. Yeah. Okay, but what, what, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, all it is is a big long train track with a series of electromagnets that takes so much electricity, it could like power New York and it speeds up the particles, you know, the atoms so fast and then it brings them together and they, they collide at these colossal speeds and it's trying to break them up to see what, you know, what's gonna happen. And it's interesting if you read some of the guys, you know, these are all evolutionists. None of these people have any clue about uh, biblical truths or the, you know, the God of the universe, but you read what they write and from what they're describing every time they do this, they see things on the other portal trying to get in. And they're actually, if you read what they do, go to the CERN website, don't believe me. They're trying to create a way to get stuff from here to there. Where's there? And who's there that's trying to get here? Okay, so the next, uh, if, you go, if you go to the CERN particle collider, um, you know who that is, yeah? That's Lord Shiva. Who's Lord Shiva? the Hindu God of destruction. So naturally you're creating a multi-trillion dollar piece of machinery. You've got all the money in the world. You can create any symbol, anything you want. So you make your name three sixes and what you decide to put in the portico of the building is Lord Shiva, the God of destruction. But that's not the only place. You see Lord Shiva at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Uh, you see Nimrod in front of the library, a statue of Nimrod, a 70-foot tall statue of Nimrod, I guess, in front of the library at the uh, university, Hebrew University in, in Jerusalem. Now, you know, how, okay. You've probably seen, and I didn't even bother to do the clip because you've probably seen it, the uh, uh, celebrations and the parades and the dancing and stuff that happens at CERN regularly. It's the same group that did that thing when they completed that tunnel from uh, Switzerland to France 
and it was a big deal. And they had all the guys with goat heads dancing and, you know, imitating death. And I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's demonic. Anybody could, a five-year-old could see that's demonic. Everything about it is demonic. And everybody involved sitting there clapping and thinking this is the best thing they've ever seen. Okay, so that's the world we live in, right? And we've been talking about various parts. We're living through this whole scamdemic thing. Um, it's, you know, uh, it's brutal. It's brutal. Okay, so Amos, Amach, 3-7, says, Surely Yahuwah Elohim will do nothing, but he reveals the secret unto his servants, the prophets. And we've read that a million times. And it's true. If you start to look into scripture, as I hope we're doing, and I hope you're learning, that when you look at actually what it says, um, he's telling you a whole bunch of stuff. He tells you everything you need to know before, during, and after. There's nothing left to guess. If you're willing, if, if you're one of those, the, the 12, you know, who, who knew the Torah, he just tells it to you. And if you're one of the rabble, then he tells you a parable and you need to figure it out. But he tells you. So it's all out there for us to see. And if we get locked into, you know, watching uh, uh, Captain Green Jeans and going to the Flannel Church and all that stuff, you're never going to get that. But it doesn't matter, right? You need to do it. I need to do it. We need to do this ourselves. You've heard about the watchman on the wall and, you know, he's put on the wall to watch. And if he sees something and he doesn't, <clears throat> excuse me, say anything, and then the, you know, the destruction comes and kills everybody in the city, then their blood is on his hands, but they're still dead, right? It didn't save them. It's just, it shifted the blame to the guy. Okay. And if he sees it and it's coming and he warns you and you think, oh, he warns me every day. I'm, I, you know, I'm too tired to get out of bed and they come in and they kill you. Then it's your own fault. You know, those are lessons from scripture. I'm not making that up. That's just the way it is. So the point all through scripture is that um, the priests are supposed to do their job. They're supposed to teach you the difference between the holy and the profane. They're not supposed to teach you what to do. You need to, you, you need to do it. We all need to do it. We need to invest ourselves enough to read his word and determine what he's saying. And the blame is nowhere else. You sit under a terrible pastor who teaches you horrible things. Well, he gets punished for that, but you're still responsible for not knowing. Because it's there. It's easy for you. You know, and you get people in Mormonism or uh, Jehovah, you know, whatever. I mean, Hinduism. They, they're taught something that's not true. And the people who taught them, the Bible says, are held to a higher account. But that doesn't give them a pass. They still need to know. And if they don't know, that's on them. So that's, uh, you know, that's kind of what that's kind of my goal is to ultimately my goal would be to get you guys interested enough and worried enough to do all this research on your own, because I'm not going to be here forever. You guys are going to move. The world is going to be different. The internet's not going to be here. Cell phones aren't going to work, you know, whatever the deal is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know cell phones or my cell phone hasn't been working in Edwards for weeks, So I don't know if they lost a tower or what. Yeah, so I don't know what the deal is. But I think it's just, you know, it's just, it's preconditioning. It's getting us used to what's going to happen when I'm gone, which could be tomorrow. You know, we don't know how long our days are. Or I move, 
or you move or <clears throat> what's going to happen? Where are you, are you, are you going to go back to flannel graph church or what are you going to do? I mean, you have, you, you know, you need to be able to do this on your own. I'm happy to do it and I love doing it. And it may not be exactly what you want to hear, but it's kind of what I'm interested in that day, but there's stuff out there and there's all kinds of interesting ways for, uh, you know, for you guys to learn what it is to learn what the Lord wants you to do to, you know, follow along. And I, of course, encourage you to do all that stuff, because I think things are going to be changing. You know, like tonight, we didn't have internet until moments ago. But what happens when we don't have internet for a week or have it ever when your computers don't work anymore, when you can't drive your car anymore? Well, probably, but I hope that won't be you guys. You know, you, you can be standing outside going, don't do it, don't do it, but don't get under him, you know, because that's that's bad. Okay, anyway, no, I'm not serious. Get under him if he's small. Um, so anyway, Yahuwah says he is going to tell us everything in advance. That doesn't mean we're going to be able to find it. We just, we need to look for it, okay? But the opposite is also true because <clears throat> the enemy can't do anything without his approval. And one of the things that is not easily discovered in scripture that is something that the rabbis teach and believe so you know take it for what it's worth is that that same rule applies to the enemy that the enemy can do nothing but what he doesn't tell you first and you saw that when he came to yahuwah and said hey i need to sift peter and he said okay and i need to work job over you know okay that's fine you know just just tell me first and i think that's the way it works and when you, when you think that, and then you look around the world, you start seeing things like the Roadrunner and CERN and, you know, the million things we've talked about before that are all pointing towards, towards something really bad. But it makes sense because if the prince of the power of the air is the enemy of God, nothing that he does or teaches is going to lead you to the Lord, right? You have to find him on your own or he finds you, I guess is technically what happens. And then you respond, but he's not going to help you get there. And we live this comfortable, cozy life in uh, Eagle, Colorado, the United States of America, where, you know, all this literally hell is breaking loose all over the world and nothing happens here. Really? I mean, you know, nobody wears masks. Everybody is, you know, it's just, it's, life's easy. We all have jobs. We make money. We, you know, it's, it's easy, but most of the world's not like that. And I think it's, it's coming here, you know, coming to a neighborhood near you soon, but we don't look for it. We don't see it. And we've talked a little bit about, you know, Washington, DC, Washington, DC. What's DC? Thank you. Who's Columbia? <laughs> exactly sue is always right it is some bad person okay columbia is the lady that stands above the dome you know the big white dome that's columbia well columbia is just another word for uh the 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 wife sister mother of nimrod cineramus yeah okay so uh Bereshit 11 verse 7 it said, and we've read this a bunch of times, go to, let us go down there and confound their language that they may not want, understand one another's speech. Okay, how many languages did it confound to? 
You don't know? Nobody knows? Unbelievable. Okay, it doesn't really say. <clears throat> but we're assuming 70, but 70 or 30 or 10, I don't know, whatever. It was ice. I, I, I've always thought it was 70 because 70 is the number of the nations and all that stuff. But it doesn't matter. However many languages it was confounded into. So think about this for a minute. This guy's name is Nimrod. And now all of a sudden you've got 20, 50, 70 different languages. Well, his name's not Nimrod in every language. Every language has a different name for him now. Shabiden, yeah. Shabiden could be one. Obama could be one. What is it? A drone bomber. That was what they called him. Um, so when you look at, you look through uh, mythology, you have, uh, say, Nimrod, and then you have Gilgamesh, and then you have Apollo, and then you have, you know, there's, there's an endless amounts of these gods. Well, those three are are just three of the same of the names for the same guy. That's all Nimrod. But you can call him all these different names because now all languages are confounded. And same thing with Simiramis, his wife, daughter, sister, uh, is called a bunch of things. One of them is Columbia. So it's the same person. It's just got all these different names. And we kind of lose track of that in 21st century America. It doesn't matter. You know, if you talk to, do any of you have any older Greek friends? I mean, actually from Greece that maybe went to school in Greece? Well, ask if you ever run into any of them and you're good enough friends with them, ask them about Greek mythology. And if, they, if they're honest, they'll tell you it's not mythology. They teach it in Greece as truth. That's our history. That's not mythology. And in most countries, it's that way. What we call mythology, they think of as history. And when you start laying it out on a card table, all these 70 different nations or, you know, pick your number, how many nations that have their own mythologies, they're always the same. It's the same stories of giants and good and evil and all this stuff is the same. Well, it makes sense if they all saw the same events and the same people, and then their languages were confounded and their nations were started. Well, they carried the same traditions and they know what they saw. They know it was true or they know what they thought was true. And those things become their history. And it's particularly interesting if you ever find any older Greek, you know, friends that you can actually, you know, you could talk to them about that. And they will tell you that in school, they weren't taught Greek mythology, they were taught Greek history. And it's, it always parallels what you read in scripture. There's giants and there's, you know, the, I mean, everything you read in scripture pretty much carries through. And we're most familiar with the Greek mythology or, you know, some Roman mythology or Egyptian mythology even, but we're not so familiar with a lot of the other stuff. But you can see how it often parallels. There's giants in all of these mythologies. Well, have you ever seen a giant? I've never, I mean, I've seen... We were in a hotel in L.A. one day and some we must have been near the forum and some basketball team walked in and there were like 25 black guys that were 15 feet tall. Well, for you. Yeah, for me. I mean, everybody that normal height is, seems 15 feet tall to me. But we don't have giants. Do we? Well, 
there have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of giant fossils or graves found in the United States, people that are 15, 18, 30 feet tall, but they get scooped up and you don't learn about them. I mean, this is all over the world, but, but especially the United States, there used to be a whole museum dedicated to it. And of course it mysteriously disappears. Anyway, um, the point is uh, on your money, it says e pluribus unum, right? And you know what that means, yes? No, that's the other one, that's on the other side. Yes, out of many one. And we know what that means, right? All these people come give us your tired, your poor, your destitute, so that we can give them welfare and food stamps. You know, no. Think about it this way. If there's 70 names for Nimrod, but it's all one guy out of many one. So it's, you know, none of this stuff is necessarily, um, it's all presented in a particular way. And it's all presented as fact and it's all presented as our history. And we believe it because our teachers have been cool and we've always, you know, because that's what they were taught. They believed it. But is it true? I would suggest most of it's not. Um, so as sort of a sidelight, I'm, have been for the last number of years moving away from what the English translation of the Bible says. 9,800 times in, in the Bible that we read or so, it'll say the Lord or God. It wasn't written that way. Those 9,800 times it was written the Tetragrammaton, you know, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, uh, or, you know, I, I call it Yahuwah, Yahweh, um, some people say Jehovah, even though there's no J in Hebrew. But they took all that out. They took away the actual name of God. And, uh, and we've talked about this before. Shem is the Hebrew word for name. And it really means authority. So uh, I want to read you a couple of verses that you should probably be familiar with. I'm sure you've heard these a lot of times. Um, but it's, it's, the name has power. I mean, Nedra sings songs like that, right? But in English, we sing it as, oh, the name of Jesus has power. Well, Jesus is my gardener's name and my mechanic's name. Okay, neither one really, but it could be because I know enough guys named Jesus. Jesus has, it's, it's, it doesn't have any meaning. There's no authority there. It's just, it's a Greek name. How did we, how did we take from scripture the name of power, the name of authority, and convert it into the Lord, God, Jesus? Okay, listen to this. Yermayahu, Jeremiah, 10.6, for as much as there is none like unto thee, O Yahuwah, thou art great, and thy name is great in might, Nay, or thy, thy authority is great in might. Uh, Masiem 4.12, neither is there salvation, and that's the Hebrew word Yeshua, in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I know a bunch of guys named Jesus, they can't save me. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that they work on my car or my yard. Matt and Yahoo, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, be thy authority. So why do we change his name? 
Yeshayahu 9.6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty Elohim, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the list is endless, because all those things are contained within the name Yahweh, Yahuwah. You know, that's his name, but he is those things. And we tend to, you know, okay, Masiem 3.16, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is put in him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. It's his authority. It's his name. It's not just any name. Uh, Philippium, where, where, wherefore Elohim, hath also exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Okay, okay, you get the idea. So why do we, why, why have we changed so much of, why did we lose 14 books out of the Bible? What, you know, why is all this? I don't know. It can't, it can't be good. Um, you know, we've given up the feast days. We've given up the Sabbath day. We've given up the, the new moons. We've given up the full moons. We've given up really everything. We gave up all the commandments, the instructions, the Torah. We gave it all up. For what? For a bunch of beast feasts. You know, we get Christmas and, and Easter. and I mean, we didn't get fair value for giving that stuff up. Why did we do it? And I think it's, it's important as we head towards what we're heading towards that we know what the truth is. And often the truth is harder to find than, than it should be. But it seems like everyone, everything, I mean, every social media site, every TV station, every newspaper, you know, they censor me. Who am I? I'm nothing. I mean, I have, there are dogs that have bigger followings than I do. Why would they censor me? Who cares that 50 people hear what I say? But it's, 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 I, yeah, I don't want to be a part of that community. Ah, even, yeah, even if it was. Okay. But why is a 70 foot tall statue of Nimrod waking up out of the ground in the National Harbor? Why is Simiramis on the dome? Why is Shiva in front of CERN? Why is Nimrod in front of the Hebrew Library? I mean, you go, have you guys been to Washington, D.C. and looked at the sites and the rotundas and all, and you see all these beautiful paintings, and did it ever dawn on you, where's Moses? Where, where's Abraham? Where's any of that stuff? They're not there. We have all these pagan guys there. All these satanic, I mean, how can that be? At every inauguration, the Freemasons are a block away doing their, uh, praying for the uh, Nimrod to rise again ceremony. <laughs> How is this possible? And we just sleep through it all. Thousands and thousands of movies and books have just been written as preconditioning. You know, they're, uh, I mean, from the 80s, from the 70s, it's, oh, you know, they're going to crawl the old people and put them in a dome or they're going to, oh, I mean, all this stuff is just, and then uh, the, <laughs> 
the lost ship show we watched a couple you know they came up with a, there was a pandemic that wiped out almost everybody on earth but they came up with this vaccine well how are we going to get it to oh it's contagious we've made a contagious vaccine well as it turns out that's true johns hopkins did that in 2016. so you know did you leave the uh you there yeah you there the uh uh harbinger two was that yeah, somebody. Okay, somebody, doesn't matter. I think it was you, it doesn't matter. But it's on the table to take it home. We read it, it was awesome. Uh, it was just interesting. Okay. What? Okay, go home and read it tonight, okay? It was, there's a section, Nedra's like reading along and you know, I'm doing whatever and she says, okay. She says, do you have a minute? Can you read this? Yeah, sure, whatever. So she hands me the Harbinger 2 with two two uh, bookmarks in it. She says, just read between those. It's like 27 pages or something. And he's talking about the coronavirus and the pandemic and the masks and the destruction. And, you know, it's like, and he ties it into, okay, it happened, you know, it's the, the worst day in New York was like April 9th of 2020, which happened to be exactly 19 years after uh I don't know. And then that was 19 years after, and it all goes back to, uh, it was that day in history in 1970 when the New York, uh, New York Senate passed the bill making abortion legal. And then that day it was passed, you know, some years in the future that not only was abortion legal, but even if they're born, it's legal to kill them and all this stuff. And then he starts going through all the things that the Bible says, you know, that uh, what you reap, you're going to sow. So exactly 19 years later, what are they reaping? You know, the biggest death count from the pandemic, which is fake ever, you know, is on that day in that city. And then where did it start in Seattle? And, the, you know, and he's tying all these, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's weird. But this whole preconditioning idea has been going on as long as we've been alive. And we've been reading books and, and watching movies and all these things um, that are conditioning us to act and react a certain way. And I believe, I believe, okay, so that I believe that's speculation, but I look at all those things and uh, man, we shouldn't waste our time doing that. We should spend our time with our faces in the word because that's where the truth is. And those are the answers. And those are, that's the equivalent to me. You're, you're cast off your surfboard. You're in a 15 foot wave. You're tumbling for your life. You can't breathe. You're sure you're going to die. Just go sit on the floor of the ocean and watch. And then you pop up. That's reading the scripture. You can fight it until you probably will die. You'll drown because you're expending all your energy getting out of something you can never get out of. Or you can just calm down and relax and sit there and read the Bible and let all this turbulence go over your head and then just pop up and it's golden. <clears throat> Um, okay, here's an interesting thing. Do you know when the Iraq war started? Because you remember these two towers in Sin City went down. You remember when that was, right? 9-11-2001. The Iraq war was a result of that, yeah? Because we're going to teach those guys a lesson. Well, the Iraq, the Iraq what's that? Yes. Well, yeah. 
There have been several, of course, before that. March 19th, 2003. So do the math, that's like 15, 18 months later. So it's really sort of disconnected from 9-11. Why did it start on March 19th, 2003? Well, because it took them 18 months to get their act together? Really? We've got weapons and troops stationed all over the world on carriers and aircraft. We can be anywhere in the world in four hours, you know, and especially some third world banana republic like Iraq, we could have sent six Boy Scout troops over there to take care of that. And it took them 18 months. Okay, so maybe, just maybe, that wasn't the deal. What you didn't hear, or I might have heard, but just ignored because it meant nothing to you. It would have meant nothing to me. On April 29th of 2003, which was just a few days previous, it was a big announcement. And of course, you all remember it, right? Yeah, who would remember it? This, this, uh, this uh, Scandinavian guy, or I can't remember what country, some weird country for doing this, uh, archaeologist discovers the tomb of Gilgamesh in Iraq on April 29th, 2003. <laughs> big deal. Right? Who's Gilgamesh? And he's been dead for thousands of years. What American cares that this Scandinavian or Polish or whatever he was, archaeologist, discovers the tomb of Gilgamesh? Well, Gilgamesh is Nimrod. And Nimrod <laughs> is the god of resurrection because he's going to resurrect. That's why there's that statue at the National Harbor of him coming up out of the ground. That's why there's that statue in front of the library at the Hebrew University. That's why the Freemasons worship him. That he's, he's the guy. There's two guys, Yeshua, Nimrod. Where are you gonna go? You're gonna follow Yeshua, you're gonna follow Nimrod. I think there's only two choices. Those are both the, the resurrection guys. Okay, so April 29th, this guy finds, supposedly, the tomb of Gilgamesh. So some, what, a few days later, what is it? It's 21, less than three weeks later, the United States Army, the British Army, the French Army, all of these people all invade, what, Iraq. I mean, really? Iraq? Come on. And then what's the very first thing you hear? Okay, it takes them like three days to roll up into Baghdad or whatever it was. And then all of a sudden the National Museum is ransacked. And Donald Rumsfeld gets on TV saying, oh, it's all just a part of war. Don't worry. No big deal. Nothing to see here. Don't worry. It's probably just a bunch of Iraqis trying to get some stuff that they can sell except it wasn't, it was the United States Army. And they took 200,000 pieces out of the National Museum in Iraq. Does that seem weird? Well, they gave 170,000 of them back, but the 30,000 they kept were about the resurrection of Gilgamesh. They find the tomb, he's the guy about resurrection, He's the one the Freemasons worship. His wife, sister, mother, is on top of the Capitol building. 
This is the, when we talked about the pyramids, this is where the, the, the star shafts are pointing is to Orion, which is Nimrod, which is Gilgamesh, which is Apollo. It's all the same guy. And the dragon. It's like, what's the deal here? So let me, if I can find it, let me read. Okay, read something from the United States. The U.S. State Department has an entire file, not, a file, not just a file. There's an entire section, an entire group of people. It's called Pertaining to the Resurrection Chamber of Gilgamesh and the Location of the Buried Nephilim. That's our State Department right after we invade Iraq. So what's the deception? Oh, it's all about oil. The United States is taking their oil. Why? We've got our own oil. We don't need their stinking oil. Why would we spend that kind of money to go over there and steal their oil? It had nothing to do with oil. That's just the classic bait and switch. It didn't have anything to do with 9-11. Yeah, weapons of mass destruction. Right. We all saw those. Who's the resurrection of Gilgamesh? And who's involved in this? I mean, the list is endless. It's Henry, Hillary Clinton was like one of the, she was the US State Department person, I think. No, she wasn't, but you know, uh, biometric destruction, the mark of the beast, the pandemic was already in the wings because the Rockefeller Foundation during this time already wrote up the scenario, you know, what we would do if they wrote up four scenarios. This was one of them. Um, they were all just waiting for this delivery system which happened around 2019. Okay, uh, Jonathan Kahn talks about that. Okay, anyway, let me just, uh, do you know who the Antichrist is? Anybody? Apollo. Apollo, <laughs> she's good. Joe Biden, probably not, he's too old and stupid. Anybody else? Okay. Erdogan's a good guess, I like Erdogan. Uh, Revelation 17, 8. And the beast that thou sawest was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and shall go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Okay, stop there. Whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundations of earth? You can read over this and, and not get this. Pardon me? No, whose names were not written in the book of life. Every, every, I would suggest we're all written in the book of life because some of us are blotted out. And you can't be blotted out unless you're written in. So there were a group of individuals that were never written in in the first place. And I would suggest those are unredeemed angels. They are, they're not humans per se. They are already people who have proven themselves to be unredeemed. And Hillary Clinton is one. She probably was not written in and blotted out, just to be sure. Uh, okay, so anyway. Uh, and they shall dwell on the earth, shall wonder, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, is not, and yet is. Okay, was, is, and is to come. Uh, Revelation 9, 11, And they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in Greek, his name is 
Apollyon. Okay, so if, and, and this may not be true, this may not be the god Apollo, but just think about this for a minute. This Abaddon in Hebrew is destroyer. It's the, it's the equivalent of the God who destroyed, you know, who went over to Passover and destroyed everybody. <clears throat> who was who was Yeshua, by the way? Um, but it means destroyer. And the Greek tongue Apollyon, it means more or less the same thing, destroyer. Well, if this is a, a and, and I'm saying if this may not be, it could just be a similar wording. But if Apollyon is talking about Apollo. And if Apollo is the Greek name of Nimrod, then Nimrod would be the guy, the beast, the guy coming up out of the bottomless pit to lead. So when they say, oh, I know who the Antichrist is, you know, he's from Texas or he's from Turkey or he's from, well, the Antichrist is apparently from the bottomless pit. Now the other guys, because there's the false prophet and, you know, the other beast, they may be from Texas or Turkey or wherever. But I suspect that uh, this Apollyon dude, this destroyer dude, is the, is, is the head guy. And if, if this is referring to Apollo or Apollos, which is Gilgamesh, which is Nimrod, then that guy could conceivably be the beast. And there's a whole list of reasons why there's, you know, no matter who it is, Prince Charles or whoever, there's a whole list of reasons why. Um, but one of the interesting things is you, you know that the beast has a fatal head wound and it's healed, right? And you go through the list of possible uh, beasts or antichrists, and that's always something of a stumbling block. You know, you, some people make a case for Hitler because he allegedly shot himself in the head, but he didn't die. And, but most people, you know, most candidates for the beasthood uh, have, have difficulty with this whole being a head wound thing and then coming back. Well, Nimrod was allegedly beheaded by Esau. So in the Hebrew thinking, if you, you know, that's part of the head. So that could conceivably be a head wound. And that's why he's got this reputation of resurrection. And that's what the Freemasons and uh, the Illuminati and anybody who worships Nimrod instead of Yeshua, they believe wholeheartedly that there's a resurrection on the, you know, on the, on the, on the horizon. So the, like I say, the, the Freemasons pray for that at every uh, election in their little thing a week a block away from the White House as the inauguration is going on. They're having their little, let's resurrect Osiris thing. Uh, okay, so Jonathan Cain makes, you know, I would read that book and then pass it around to anybody who's interested because it's pretty, his stuff is always pretty interesting. You got to take it with a grain of salt, but it's, uh, it's interesting. Okay, so some of the other things that Yeshua says, and again, we know that, or you should know that he says he will always tell his prophets what he does. I mean, we've read that every time we've read through the Bible and it doesn't always seem to stick and we don't always seem to think, well, what does that mean? But I think one of the things that it means is that if we look into it, if we're like the 12 and have a background in the Torah, then we will know these things. He will tell us these things through his words. So one of the other things that we know is, you know, the, we reap what we sow, right? 
Galatim, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, says it pretty simply. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, he shall also reap. And read Obadiah, Obadiah, uh, it's only one chapter, so it's 14 through 18. Neither, and you'll have to listen closely to this, neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway. He's talking to the enemies of God's people when they, when they blocked the retreat and, you know, uh, they did things that they should have done. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did not escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. Okay, he's just talking about don't be a jerk, basically. For the day of you who is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall be returned upon thine own head. And I printed the rest of this because I thought it was interesting. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. They shall drink and they shall swallow down and they shall be as though they had not been. They, they're, they're gone. But upon the uh, Mount Zion shall be deliverance. There shall be holiness and the house of Yaakov shall possess their possessions. And the house of Yaakov shall be a fire and the house of Yosef shall be a flame and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for Yahuwah hath spoken it. So ultimately, he's saying the house of Jacob, of Israel, presumably us, towards the end from Mount Zion, um, will displace the house of Edom the enemies of God. And this is, you know, this is a good thing. But he's, he says, all the heathen, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Which is, you know, you're going to reap what, what you sow. So do you believe those things? I mean, do you believe the things that you read in scripture? And every, every person who has ever gone to church and half the people who have never gone to church would go, oh yeah, yeah, I believe it but they don't live that way. They say they believe it, but they don't. And when stuff like this, you, you talk about Galatians, that's clearly personal. What you reap, you're going to sow. So, you know, be careful what you reap because it's going to come back to you. But Obadiah, that's a nation. The nation of Edom is going to reap the things that they sow. And we read all through scripture, the nation of Israel is going to reap the things that they sow. And certainly within that group, both within the group of Edom, there were probably people who didn't sow that, who didn't have that desire in them to get rid of the house of Israel. And within the house of Israel, there were no doubt people who uh, were reaping or sowing bad things. And that's always been an issue for me that, you know, there are always goodly, godly people when the hammer falls, that get, you know, why do bad things happen to good people, right? You know, there are always good people, but because they're in part of the nation that's bad, sometimes they suffer the consequences of the people around them. And it's not that God has misplaced them. God knows exactly who they, we are. And 
at the, you know, in the end, it'll all be fine. But there will be a time at which, because the nation has gone so south, because Edom treated Israel poorly during this and several other events, all the people of Edom are going to suffer the same consequence. And that doesn't mean that every single individual person in Edom was bad or that there wasn't anyone in Edom that followed the Lord. And we know that there were, because at, at the end of days, two of the 12 tribes of Edom are found in Israel, worshiping the Holy One of Israel. So certainly some people in Edom uh, knew the truth and followed the truth. But the point I'm making is that when, when the Lord says the nation is going to reap what it sows, what does that mean for us? Because our nation is reaping some really bad stuff and it's sowing some really bad stuff. And, you know, you look at, look at the, um, you know, the seven dwarfs and the action Jack scene and the covades and all that. And, and you can see, I mean, governor Polis has murdered thousands of people in this state. I mean, he has flat murdered them by disallowing them to gain treatment to solve their dilemma. I mean, how did, he's not a doctor, he's a moron. Why would he have the authority to tell me what I need to take or don't need to take to save my life? Well, that's horrible. And we look at all the thousands, hundreds of, I mean, look at all the tens of thousands of people Cuomo killed. Let's see, I've got a bunch of vulnerable people in nursing homes. I know, let's send all the sick people there. Oh yeah, Trump gave me that big boat, but we don't want to use that. And we put up all those big tents, but no, we don't want to use any of that stuff. Let's go murder all those old people. Okay, that's bad. But when you think about the 63 million children that have been aborted in this country, that have been murdered, that have been ripped out of their mother's womb, and you think, oh, that's terrible. What can I do? Well, there are people who are going to do things, but it doesn't change anything because those people, those children, 63, probably more, like 65 million now, you probably know, um, are dead. Well, that's what our nation sowed. And we sowed it all over the world. And when you see how many hundreds of millions of people, of children, we killed, that's what we sowed. What are we going to reap? And this country, I believe, is going to reap, reap what we sowed. Right, right, exactly. He was saying you're not just guilty of murdering the person, you're guilty of murdering all of the, because that's how Hebrews look at it. They're all, that's why when we do Passover, we went through the Passover because we were in the loins of our father's 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 father who actually did go through the Passover. So we're to look at it in the tense and in the sense that we were there. So that's exactly right. You murder one baby, 
it's not it's not just like you can even say that one baby it's all the children that baby would have had and all the children that those children would have had and that blood is on the hands of this country and what kind of god would there be that there's no punishment for that so the punishment is coming i mean there's no question you're going to you're going to reap what you sow and we know what we've sown and you see all the riots and you see the murders and they're you know giving guns to criminals and taking away cops and you know i, I mean and none of it makes sense let's let all the illegals in from whatever country they want to come in and we don't check them to see if they're sick or you know any of that stuff and we send them to wherever they want to go nothing they're doing makes sense unless you realize everything they're doing is just trying to destroy this country and in fact the world and that i i believe is you know is the goal it's always been the goal to depopulate the world because satan comes to kill steal and, and destroy he's not coming to build anybody up he's coming to destroy to kill so if you think you're getting uh, fed by watching some movie or you know i don't know whatever it is just realize that everything that the world is throwing at you is a lie the only truth you're ever going to find is in that book and you need to keep your mind in it and your head in it and your nose in it and you need to be open and you need to ask questions because he will answer and if he doesn't answer there will be people that can answer that's where we need to have our focus so the point here is um you know all through scripture you see it as the king goes so go the people and when the leaders are bad the people are bad but there are always people within that group that are not bad that are good they're following the lord they're doing everything they can do and yet they're swept up in the everything you reap you'll sow and i kind of think that's where we are so i just want to now we can start the bible study by the way um <laughs> So we might go a little longer tonight. Um, her is an interesting cat in scripture. You know, you know her, yeah? We've seen her. Do you know who her is? Anybody? Her? Her? Anybody? No, yeah, been her. No, that was a different her. Uh, same kind of idea, though. Her is a son of Miriam. The Jewish tradition, the rabbinical tradition, is that Miriam and Caleb got together and their son was her. Now that, that's, you know, it's a rabbinical tradition, so you got to take it for what it's worth. Because as you read scripture, that's not the genealogy you'll get. But anyway, her is Miriam's daughter, which makes him Moshe's nephew, right? A he. Her's a he. H-U-R, sorry. H-U-R is her. And he's he, and he's the daughter of Miriam, and Miriam is he. Okay, sorry. He's the, all right. Look, like like you're all perfect too, okay? Her is the son of Miriam, who is the older sister of Moshe, so that makes her nephew to Moshe, I think. Something like that. I don't know. It's see, I, I should have been born a Hebrew because they don't mess with any. There's no grandfather, great grand. You know, it's it's brother, sister, father, mother. That's all there are. Anyway, that's who he is. So you remember the story when 
uh, Moshe instructed uh, Joshua to take his army and go fight the Amalekites. And he says, I don't know if I have this. He says, I do have this. It's in Shemoth, Exodus 17, verse 10. So Yahusha, which is Joshua, did as Moshe had said, and he fought with Amalek. And Moshe, Aaron, and Hur, Hur, went up to the top of the hill. Okay, so that's the job you want. You don't want to be fighting the Amalek. Um, and it was Aaron and Hur. Maybe you remember this from the movie. Uh, Moshe's up on the mountain, and Joshua and the boys are down there, and they're fighting the giants, the Amalekites. And as long as Moshe has his hands in the air praying, Joshua and the boys are routing the Amalekites. And then <sighs> Moshe is an old man and he's getting tired and his hands are getting weak and he's getting weak and his hands are dropping. And as his hands drop, the Amalekites are now beating Joshua and the boys. <clears throat> so her and Aaron held up his hands. And when his hands were up, Joshua and the boys were winning and the Amalekites were running. And as his hands, so finally they set Moshe on a rock so that they could hold Moshe's hands up. And, you know, and, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a clever story and we won't do the teaching on that. It's pretty obvious, you know, you should be praying and, you know, and all that stuff. Um, but that's who her was. And her uh, was his nephew and Aaron was his brother. So the family is up on the hill uh, dealing with the weightier matters of the law. Joshua's down there actually slinging the sword. And you remember, this is the point at which, you know, they raise his hands up and Moshe's praying and they're all praying. And the Lord sends giant hailstones down to kill the Amalekites. <clears throat> so you're a giant, you're an Amalekite, you're trying to kill the people of God. And these hundred pound hailstones are coming from heaven and they're not wasting any, I would imagine. Every guy gets one right on the noggin and it, you know, it eliminates the whole giant problem. So that's, that's who her is. Then a little bit later in Shemot 24, and this is, uh, this is just before Moshe is going up to meet uh, Yehu on the mountain. <clears throat> and Yehu said unto Moshe, come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee a sapphire stone, which is another interesting thing. We always read tables of stone, right? Tables of stone. And there's a whole teaching on tables. It's a good teaching. It's excellent tables of stone. But the actual word is sapphire. And there's a guy I know who goes around the country teaching and preaching and doing all this stuff. And he goes to conferences and stuff, and he dives in rivers, and he picks up all these sapphires because apparently they're pretty common in a lot of places. And they're just rocks like anything else. And you can break and polish them and you get a little sapphire-like thing. But he brings those because that's what the Bible says. All of these, the tablets of stone were sapphire tablets. And if you can imagine him bringing, you know, I'm sure they weren't, in my mind anyway, you get the, you know, the, the two clay tablets that, you know, blah, 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 they're just bringing them down like you see on all the pictures of the Ten Commandments and all that stuff. But these are sapphire stones, according to the Bible. So these were probably these beautiful, I mean, they were probably stunning because the Lord had, you know, anyway. Okay, sorry, got off. 
Uh, and Yahuwah said unto Moshe, come up to me in the mount and be there, and I will give thee sapphire stones and a Torah and commandments, which I have written to thee, that thou mayest teach them. And Moshe rose up and his minister, uh, Yahusha, Joshua, and Moshe went up into the mountain of Elohim. And he said unto the elders, tarry here for us until we come again to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let them come unto them. Okay. Well, oddly, that's the last time we hear about her in scripture, other than there are six more verses that say the son of her or, you know, in the genealogy, but that's the last time we see her alive. Nope. No comment about what happens to him or where he went or nothing until you get to the Midrash, which is just a commentary or rabbinical commentary on the Bible. And, and the rabbinical commentary on this section reads this way. In the sixth hour of the day arrived and Moshe had not descended from heaven. They immediately gathered around Aaron. And at that time, Satan took advantage of the opportunity and made an image of Moshe visible, suspended lifeless between heaven and earth. And the Yehudim pointed to the image with their finger and said, for this is the man Moshe. And at that moment, her rose up against them and said, you severed necks. Do you not remember the miracle that our God did for you? And immediately they rose against him and killed him. Maybe. Make some kind of sense. Because if you read the commentaries and the Midrash and all that stuff, the, the deal was Moshe told them I was going up for 40 days. Almost like I'm going to be back at, you know, 618 on Thursday the 31st or whatever it was. Well, 618 comes and goes and Moshe's not back. But he's coming back. But they were, he said, he said he's coming back right now. He's not here. Satan takes the opportunity to make some kind of image in the sky that looked like a dead Moshe. Her knew it wasn't Moshe. I mean, anybody who followed along knew it wasn't Moshe. They had to trust the Lord, right? But the people rose up and said, well, make us a, 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 a golden calf that we can worship. Why would it, have you ever wondered why would Aaron do that? That's Moshe's brother. He knew the story. Why would he acquiesce to these people whining about making a golden calf? What if they'd just risen up and killed her? That give him anyway. This is her. He was her, by the way, means white linen. That's his name. So you know from the womb, the kid popped out special. And apparently his whole life was lived in service of the Lord. He was one of Moshe's trusted servants and his nephew. Uh, Aaron would have been related to Aaron also. And of course, Miriam. I mean, he was, he was a guy. He was a good guy. And they killed him. And keep in mind that was six weeks or not even after they had, Moshe had stood in front of the people and recited the commandments, recited the Torah, and asked the people, are they willing to do this? And the people said, we are willing to do this. And we will follow those and we will do those things completely. And of course, six weeks later, they've killed her. They're building a golden calf. Everything is going to hell in a handbasket pretty fast. That's how, you know, that's how, that's how we are. That's how we work. But my point is, um, her was a good guy. And he died. He was killed. And I don't know if it's, you know, if the Midrash is true, but you don't see him again in scripture. And it 
does sort of fit how you get Aaron to make a calf because Moshe is two minutes late. I don't know. So you read a little bit later in Shemot chapter 31. And it says, Yahuwah spoke unto Moshe saying, See, I have called by name Bezalilel, Bezal, that guy, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of Elohim in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, work in gold, work in silver and work in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work all manner of workmanship. So in some, in some sense, this is, he, he had selected the grandson of her to actually build Yahuwah's house, to build the tabernacle. He had given him the skills because nobody else had it. And this is, this is kind of how Yahuwah works, right? Her died in the service of the Lord. He died being a, a good guy, a, a guy who followed after the Lord. And you would think he was in a reasonably safe place. He was amongst his people and his people were starting to getting out of line. And he stepped up to stand up for the Lord, to stand up for the word, for the truth, for the things that he knew were real. And they killed him. And you think, how can that happen? That just seems, I mean, couldn't, couldn't have God stopped that? Well, of course he could have. But he didn't because he lets people do what's in their heart. He lets all of us do what's in our heart. So we have to make sure our heart is following after the Lord. So the righteous her dies, and Yahuwah makes a point of saying, I want his, his kid, his grandson. I want him. I'm going to give him the wisdom and knowledge because I know who her was. Her was good. So it's, it's more than just I'm picking this kid. It's more than, you know, that guy has some skills. He's telling the people, the people there were some of the people that killed her. And so God is telling him, look what I'm going to do. I'm going to take her's kid, the one that you killed him, and he's going to be the guy I'm giving wisdom and knowledge to. I can't give it to you because you don't have it, but I can give it to him. So interestingly, about that time, a little bit later, do you remember who Korah was? Korah and Dathan? They were Dathan from Cecil B. DeMille? Yeah, who traveled with them. And Dathan, according to Cecil B. DeMille, uh, the gospel according to Cecil, Dathan was an Egyptian, or possibly a, I guess he was probably a Jew, but he had, joined the other side. He was a taskmaster for the Egyptians and he was running a, you know, a bunch of the Hebrews and whether he was Hebrew or Egyptian, I'm not clear, but anyway, he left with them. But the reason he left with them is because when, when he was told to paint the blood on his doorpost, he wouldn't do it. But Dathan in his home had either a Jewish servant or something. And that servant's brother or fiance or whatever snuck in just before midnight and painted Dathan's door with uh, the blood of the lamb. So he was saved. So he sort of got swept up in this whole thing. So Dathan uh, into the 
several years into the 40 years, starts challenging Moshe. And Dathan and one of the Hebrews, Korah, uh, actually went to the tent, right to the tent, and were challenging Moshe and said, you need new leadership, I'm willing to do it, all that stuff. And Moshe says, hold on a minute, let me go check with Yahuwah. He goes, checks with Yahuwah, and then the ground opens, swallows up Dathan and Korah, and all of their families, well, not all of their families, answers the question. Not a problem anymore. Moshe is the guy. Okay, so, but but the sons, many of the sons of Korah didn't agree with him, and they didn't go with him, and they didn't think that Moshe wasn't the guy. And those sons of Korah then became uh, some of the writers of the Psalms. And this is one of their Psalms, chapter, or Psalm 44, and I'll pick it up in chapter verse 20. For if we have forgotten the name of our Elohim or stretched out our hands to a strange Elohim, shall not Elohim search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Yea, for the sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Yahuwah? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou face and forgettest our affliction and oppression? Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. And haven't we all asked the same question? It's like, Lord, where are you? Do you not see what's going on down here? You know, wake up, help us out. And it seems sometimes like, you know, he's not. And that's where these guys were. This was some time later. And they were asking, the, can't you see what's happening? Can you wake up and help us? And he's not. He's, he doesn't on purpose. And it's, it's, it's his purpose. It's, you know, it's, it's why did her have to die? Why are we, this group and, and thousands of other groups like us, living in a country right now that's murdering babies by the millions that's involved in murdering old people and that's lying about uh, illnesses and, and, and cures. And I mean, everything they do is a lie. What do we do if we're trying to be righteous like her? And, and often we think, well, if, you know, if we're righteous, if we're on the Lord's team, if we're doing his work, then we're protected. Her wasn't. The people in, in the nation of Israel, when, when Israel was cast out numerous times, that followed the Lord, they weren't. The people of Edom who followed after the Lord suffered with the country that they were in. I mean, how does that make sense? So you find yourself pleading with the Lord, don't you see what's going on down here? Just like the sons of Korah were. Can't you see what's happening? Wake up, save us. Well, our physical life is not Yahuwah's burning interest. <laughs> he really doesn't care so much about your physical life. He cares about your spiritual life. And he will save you. Absolutely. There's no question. He might not save your physical life. So what do you suppose Moshe thought when Yahuwah from the burning bush told him, you know those guys, uh, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? 
they didn't know me. They knew me as El Shaddai, but I'm about to do something that will make them know me as Yahweh. They will know me as the eternal God, as the God they need to know me as, not just the provider God, the one that they have their wish list of things that they send, but they need to know who I really am. And how did that happen? That happened through going to Egypt. It happened through starting a famine, moving the families. It happened before that, sending Yosef to Mitzrim as a slave and all the things that happened to him. It happened before that. It happened at the when Yahuwah walked through the and made the covenant with Abraham. It happened before that, even, even in Haran and even in uh, Ur of the Kazdim. It's, it's been a plan forever. It happened in the garden. Because what did you see? You saw righteous Abel slain by Cain because he was unhappy with the result of his offering. That's when it started. And it's always been that way. The righteous often suffer at the hands of the wicked and are often killed at the hands of the wicked. And as a result of the wicked seeming to triumph, Yahuwah flooded the whole world and killed everybody, except for eight righteous. Except a couple of those righteous had the seed of Cain. And we got back to... But it's, it's, it's the same story. The righteous will often suffer at the hand of the wicked. And it seems unfair. And the sons of Korah cried about it and people have cried about it before and, and since. And I'm certainly that, that we have. Think about Job. Job was a righteous man. And he was a wealthy man. And Satan says, well, what about your, 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 your dude Job? Says, what if I put the screws to him? What do you think he's going to do? And Yahuwah says, go for it. So Satan comes and murders all his family and murders all his camels and sheep and elk and elephants or whatever they had. He's broke and he's the only one left. And he's sitting in the dust, throwing dust on his head because he's got nothing. And what does he say? Though you slay me, I will yet trust in him, but I will maintain my own ways before him. He shall also be my salvation, for a hypocrite shall not come before him. And then later he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though, though after my skin worms destroyed his body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He knew it didn't matter. I mean, it did matter. It couldn't have been easy watching your entire family die. And, and, and losing everything you had. And of course, the Lord restored it all. And it still, it wouldn't have, you know, it couldn't possibly have been the same. But he knew it didn't matter. Our physical lives are unimportant in that regard. It's our spiritual lives that matter. And I think so many today get that confused. We're so interested in our physical lives. And we we neglect our spiritual lives, but we think, you know, we think we're good. I go to Bible study once a week, you know, and I listen to some videos and read some weird books sometimes and, and I do stuff and that's good. I'm not saying any of that's bad. We should do that. We should do that constantly. But what I am saying and have been saying, and will continue to be saying is don't trust the things of the world because they're lies. 
and they're designed not only to kill, steal, and destroy, but they're designed to separate us from the truth of God. And we're going to see some things. What, what if when they fire up the CERN super collider next time, they actually do open that portal? And what if Nimrod does step out? Can you imagine if a 70-foot tall guy steps out and says, hey, I answered all your problems. These guys finally got me released. We're going to make it all right now. This is going to be good. We're going to give peace everywhere. Everybody gets free money. It'll be awesome. Nobody's going to be sick anymore. Look at me. I'm 70 feet tall. Wouldn't you like to be like me? How many people are going to buy that? I would have said not many until this COVID thing. And more than half the people are buying this crap that they're selling, not even asking. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Jab me with something. What's in it? We don't know. People are dying and people are sick. Yeah, it's okay. Hit me again. I'm good. I mean, how do you get to that point where you suspended all, you know, all intelligence God gave you? So, I mean, we're going to see things that are going to be wild. And, and even wilder than the things we're going to see are going to be the reactions people are going to have. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm buying into that. I'll buy that stock any day. I mean, that is just wrong. And you're going to see a lot of people, perhaps like us, who are going to like her and maybe, you know, like so many others, like her, we may be killed. And that might be merciful. <laughs> or maybe like Job, we won't be killed, but we're going to see everything destroyed which would be harder, I would think. But it doesn't matter. That's the thing. Our life is like a vapor. Here for a minute, then we're gone. But eternity is a long time. So God is looking eternally. And we tend to focus, you know, and it's natural and normal. I get it. But we tend to focus on us, our things, our stuff, our, you know, what's going on in our little world. And we need to be like her and stand up. And if it costs you something, so what? Or maybe like Job, we didn't even necessarily stand up. We just lived a righteous life. And then, hey, what about your servant, Linda? How about if I thrash her for a while? Go for it. It's not going to rattle her. You know, we just, we don't know it's coming. But I know it's going to be bad. And I know all the lies are setting it up. So what are you going to do? Just Bury yourself in the book in prayer and talk to the Lord and see what's coming. 